The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Bear Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
castle on flight And if you go real fast You have to hold on tight Cause when you get it right It'll move you through the night Oh yeah, alright And if you like it cool He's up on the vibe And if you like it hot Prepare yourself for the ride Cause when you get it right It'll move you through the night Oh yeah, alright You never know just how it will be Just let it groove you truthfully The music's made for you and me And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is Assistant Professor in the Department of Cultures, Societies, and Global Studies, and the Program in Women's, Gender, and Sexuality Studies at Northeastern University. And she has a new book. Um, and I'm going to see if I can pronounce this, because she made up a new word. It's called, it's, uh, <laughs> the book is called Misogynoir Transformed. Black Women's Digital Resistance. I said that okay? Oh, that was great. Anyway, my guest is uh, Moya Bailey, and she joins me by phone. Moya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And how did you come up with the word misogynoir, which has its own uh, page on uh, Wikipedia, by the way? It does. I was working on my dissertation in 2008, and I was looking at these old medical school yearbooks and textbooks, and I was actually surprised to see that in these 1910 to 1920 yearbooks, these representations of black women that were caricatures, and I guess that's, you know, not so surprising in a, you know, segregated South context. But those images actually reminded me of things I was seeing in popular culture with how black women are represented today. And so I started to think about what has happened in this intervening almost 100 years that has made it so that these representations and caricatures of black women pretty much look the same. So misogynoir was a way to talk about the very specific anti-black racist misogyny that appears in visual culture and in our contemporary moment in digital culture. And the noir is really a nod to film noir, which uh, as a genre, you know, deals with some dark, gritty scenes and, you know, has that film media connotation, which is where I was seeing uh, misogynoir showing up. Well, and the, and the whole idea of film noir was that the the film, the the actual technology of filming it was very dark, and absolutely noir um, directly translated um, 
is is often thought of as as translated to black. So it is Absolutely. a great way, Moya, to um, to to specify that you're talking about mono, uh, misogyny toward black women, because they're not the only women who have suffered from misogyny. Exactly, exactly. And that there's something, you know, as I've talked about it before, something sickly synergistic about that, so that the misogynoir that black women experience is not just additive. It isn't just like blackness and, uh, you know, being a woman coming together. There's something about the way those two come together that makes it particularly vile in terms of what gets represented and then also the material implications. And that's really what the book tries to focus on is what are some of the material consequences of misogynoir and then... Uh, even more importantly, how are black women using digital media to challenge some of those material uh, effects in their own lives? Now, some of the, the images that, you know, that you point out, certainly uh, uh, one example which has, has recently been addressed was Aunt Jemima. The Absolutely. Whole, the, the whole mammy concept. Um and uh, <laughs> and you know it's it's it, people reacted very strangely to when that particular image was attacked because the product has been around and loved by so many people for so many years that they that for a lot of people and I and I suspect um, primarily white people um, it was. Oh, not Aunt Jemima. <laughs> Absolutely. We can't pick on Aunt Jemima. Um, she makes great pancakes and syrup and stuff. Um, but yet for black people, that representation was very cartoonish. Absolutely. And what's interesting is, you know, Aunt Jemima is based on a, a real person, a real enslaved enslaved black woman who is, you know, alleged, allegedly, you know, responsible for both the pancake recipe and then um, some different representations of her image have been incorporated into the branding over time. And her descendants were actually trying to get uh, the corporation to think differently about that representation, but we saw actually through a lot of the unrest last summer that uh, Aunt Jemima, uh, Uncle Ben's, are really trying to rebrand and are responding to the political force that um, young, I would say primarily young black people have been moving uh, in to make sure that these images are challenged because they exist in the background, you know, as you said, it's not something that people really think about too much. It's not the blatant racism that we, you know, expect or imagine, but just those images circulating and seeming, you know, so benign actually creates a context for other uh, more uh, impactful and perhaps violent 
uh, racial and racist uh, imagery to um, impact others and have real consequences on people's lives. You know, there's a a, a woman who is the um, uh, icon or part of the logo for a film company, and I'm trying to think if it's 20th Century Fox or which phone or which uh, film company. And over the years, um, her dress and her hair and other things have been updated to be more contemporary. Mm-hmm. And it's what's interesting to me is that that happened sort of on its own mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. having to be prompted by anyone. Why wouldn't these other brands, and, and again, we'll, we'll use Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben, why wouldn't they have been modernized as just part of the business of trying to stay contemporary? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think in some ways they imagined that they have been. Do you know the early representations of the? Yeah, yeah. I I would say some of the early images of Aunt Jemima. You know, she did have a kerchief on her head. You know, a checkered kerchief that people very much understand and connect to the mammy image. But then, you know, more updated version. She has like a short haircut. She's wearing pearls, so she looks more like a homemaker as opposed to an enslaved person. So I think they thought that they had done some of that updating, but but I don't know that it achieved uh, achieved what you're talking about in terms of actually a modern representation, especially since the name didn't change, and that name is very much synonymous with how um, black men and black women were referred to if they were of a certain age in um, the, you know, at that time. More about transforming misogynoir with uh, author Moya Bailey straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. 
Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More about transforming misogynoir with uh, author Moya Bailey straight ahead. So how is, um, how are black women providing digital resistance? Great question. So I really track that digital resistance is happening on different platforms and on those different platforms occurring in different ways. And so one example that I've written about before in a book called Hashtag Activism that I co-authored with Sarah J. Jackson and Brooks Foucault Wells, uh, Hashtag Activism is a way of using Twitter to amplify a message And so some common hashtags that people might understand or or recall are the ones we've, one I've mentioned, Black Lives Matter. But uh, in the context of my writing for this book, I looked at the hashtag Girls Like Us, which was created by Janet Mock. And that hashtag was really about creating community and connection among trans women who were online. And they used the hashtag to 
talk about, you know, finding doctors who um, were supportive or uh, just everyday uh, interest in what was happening in their lives. And so through that hashtag, a network emerged that uh, really helped to challenge some of the mainstream representation of trans women that people see uh, in more popular media outlets. Similarly, I looked at uh, what people were doing on YouTube. So I looked at YouTube web series that black women were creating for themselves that challenged some of the ways that they're represented in popular media. Because when you get to create your own web show, you know, you get to drive the story and tell the narrative. And I was so curious at the things that people wanted to highlight in their own videos that are very different from what you see in perhaps a mainstream narrative that would come out on an outlet like ABC or NBC, that these web series deal with topics like uh, sexual assault, intimate partner violence, uh, questions of just, I think, some of the more uh, difficult subject matter that isn't so light that you don't get in uh, what you see on mainstream television. And yet, I, I, I would think that some of the changes that have been happening in uh, mainstream television and, and other contemporary media as contributing to the digital resistance that you point to in terms Absolutely. of... Yeah, in, in terms of changing people's minds. I mean, it was it was just a year ago that the country was horrified to see the George Floyd killing um, laid out on a on a phone video, and you know the way people reacted to that, it seems like like a, a a huge door has been opened up for conversations like the ones you're talking about on on various uh, YouTube channels and podcasts. Oh, you're absolutely right. And I think that there's been a wonderful feedback loop that's been created that, you know, the George Floyd video was captured via cell phone, posted to YouTube, posted to Facebook, and then getting fed into more traditional media outlets like CNN and also changing the conversation. So there is a group of people who are connected to Black Lives Matter and you know, lots of different organizers who are now using the language of abolition and defund the police language that I don't think would have been possible to see in uh, mainstream media even, you know, three years ago, four years ago. Uh, there's been a real change in what we see on television, and I do think people are actively, you know, trying to make those changes and connections. Uh, one example that I mentioned briefly in the book is uh, Issa Rae's television show, which initially, Insecure, which was initially inspired by uh, her web series called The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. And the success of the web story actually made it possible for her to transition to network television and get this HBO deal. So I do and think that which, there's... Which show? I, you broke up a little bit. Uh, in, 
Oh, sorry. It's called Insecure. Oh, okay. And it's on, yeah, it's on HBO. Mm-hmm. The, um, in, in putting together the book and, and researching the book, well, well, wait a minute. I want to go back and pick up on something because you, you mentioned defund the police, and that's a, a very contentious term. And it means different things to different people. It's not like this very carefully thought out word that that you coined, misogynoir, which which really is very accurate to the point. Um, the defund the police thing is is that the right banner to wave? That's a really good question. I mean, I think one of the reasons that people use defund the police is because it seems perhaps accessible to people in a different way. So if you talk about prison abolition, that seems perhaps to some people really not clear. Like, you are you want to get rid of prisons? What does that even mean? And so then saying defund the police, take money away from the police or how they operate, that perhaps sounds a little clearer. Uh, but even beyond that, I think people are getting more specific to say, in addition to defunding the police, we're talking about putting some of that money back into, you know, infrastructure that is in cities that perhaps do the things that help um, mitigate the need for or the ex expression that uh, we need police to help manage and govern uh, what gets imagined as an unruly populace. So if we are supporting people through uh, different kinds of social services, spending that money in a different way, I well, think the idea is that that will actually help create more opportunities for people. Yeah, I think it's uh, it has opened up conversations about reorganizing or restructuring public safety um, so that police aren't being called for everything that happens. There are people who might intervene in certain kinds of situations better than law enforcement. Absolutely. And I'm thinking Absolutely. specifically in the area of mental health. Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, I think we've seen this in uh, different cities where this is operationalized. I think it's Oregon that actually, um, in Oregon and Portland, that they've had a program that's existed for a while now where uh, people call uh, another line when somebody's having a mental health crisis, and it's reduced, you know, the need for police calls and has also resulted in no harm to the people who... Um, have had a mental health crisis. So integrating programs like that and adopting programs like that is part of what defund the police is is trying to accomplish. How much time elapsed between um, your coining the phrase uh, misogynoir and your idea to write this book? Ah, so I coined the term in 2008, and I started writing the book, I would say, in 
20, uh, let's say 2017. So that's a pretty sizable, like, time. So nearly a decade in between coining the term and starting to write the book. And part of the reason I wrote it was because the term really grew and had a life of its own. I published it first on a blog that I was a part of, the Crunk Feminist Collective blog in 2010. And then it started circulating in different uh, web spaces after that. And uh, another blogger, womanist, activist, organizer online, uh, Trudy, was really instrumental in the term picking up and people using it. And I think it's part of how the term really got a lot of attention. And from that, it felt like, oh, I need to do some work to help people understand how the term has helped uh, foment a different way of organizing, that the term itself has given people fuel and helped people find a way to articulate what they've been experiencing for so long. And I definitely see the word as coming out of a legacy of, you know, feminist activism, that it's speaking to something that black feminists have been talking about for a long time and really just putting a, a name to uh, something that people have been discussing in talks, articles, books, uh, much, much longer than, than I uh, have been talking about it since I coined the term. How much does black uh, uh, male comedians' caricatures of black women hold back the resistance yeah it's it's a tough thing to quantify i mean one of the things i'm arguing i mean you talk about that, flip wilson's geraldine who yeah. ever, who was extremely popular with black and white audiences up to and including uh, tyler perry's medea and and yeah i i I love those movies. I, you know, I, I laugh hysterically at those movies. I don't believe that's a true characterization, but I have talked to black people who say, I've got an auntie or, uh, you know, I, I've got a grandma who acts just like that. Yeah. And, of course, the issue with Geraldine and Medea isn't that those characters exist. It's that those characters become totalizing and become people's default or reference point for who black women are and who black women can be. And that those caricatures and stereotypes end up impacting the way people imagine or interact with real black women. And um, when I think about those characters, I think of another character, which is the image and idea of the welfare queen that circulated in the 80s and 90s, this idea that, you know, there were black women who were leeching on the government, trying to take away um, what other, what the money that, you know, taxpayers put into, into our system, and that uh, they black were even, women were... 
Moya, they were even portrayed as second and third generation. Absolutely, absolutely. And, of course, when you look at the statistics, you know, it becomes very clear that then and now the majority of people who use government assistance are white people. You know, this idea that there are people taking money from the system is, you know, fraud is very, very low. You know, we're talking about less than 1% of people who are, are using government assi assistance have been, you know, accused of or been identified in any sort of connection to a fraud or, um, you know, a, an exaggerated or non-necessary claim. But those images reverberate and those ideas reverberate to the point where, as you're talking about this second, third generation, myth becomes something that lives in people's minds, which is much more of a myth and non-reality and not reflective of the majority of people who are using the system. Well, and it, it, it even, uh, I mean, you even have to look at and consider the way people uh, think about teen pregnancy. It's um, a lot of people assume that getting pregnant as a teenager is um, a, a, some rite of passage that if you become pregnant, you're a teen, you go on government assistance, and you can leave home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these myths, you know, circulate, and they get repeated, and they definitely don't really account for what's actually going on. I mean, there's been, I think in the last, we've seen a real decrease in teen pregnancy, but uh, that myth of, of teen pregnancy still circulates very, um, very much in our society, even though the numbers for teen pregnancy has actually gone down quite a bit in the last couple of years, and that that's been a trend um, over, over several, several years now. Do you think that, um, that the, the, the resistance that you outline in the book, the digital resistance by black women against misogyny is, um, is, is working? Is it getting better? Yeah. I, it, uh, something that it's hard to articulate, and, and this is my humanities training here, is that it's, it's not linear, unfortunately. So there are places where I do think it is working. I think people are creating what they need, creating the kinds of digital spaces that make them feel connected to one another, um, that enable them to uh, access resources that they might not have been able to access before. And at the same time, you know, the Internet is, is neutral. It's kind of a tool that is wielded by uh, the person who's holding it. So it can go either way. It's, it's not an, an easy solution. And also because a lot of these platforms are not owned by or operated by uh, the people who use them, it can be difficult to intervene when the platform itself is contributing to the harm. So something that's happened a lot for, 
you know, black women who have been online, they might be trying to call out some particular injustice, um, something racist or misogynist that they've seen online, but in calling it out, they are the ones who then get blocked or banned um, because they've used or repeated, you know, the offensive language that was used towards them. And so I think it's going to also require some education on the part of uh, platform conveners uh, for the people who uh, create our digital platforms that we use to address and get more serious about connecting with and understanding the realities for people who are marginalized on that platform itself, but also in society. So what sorts of interventions can be made that help to uh, alleviate that pressure on people who are already marginalized such that they are not the ones who are then doing uh, a lot of the work trying to acknowledge and create a safer space for themselves on the platform. You know, and interestingly, I, a few months ago, I had a guest on the show, and I've been trying to, to think of her name. And she had written a book that was advocating for people of color to be included in the development of not just the, uh, the, the platforms, but the coding that goes Absolutely. into... Um, all of the technology that we use that that maybe inadvertently or unintentionally the people writing code are primarily young white men. Yes, and this is something that we can think about even at the level of the science and computer engineering classes that people are taking before that you can get to the point of coding for uh, a major platform, that those classes tend not to uh, think about questions of race, gender, sexuality as students are in them. You know, people assume that code is binary and that it is neutral and that it doesn't actually take on our biases, but then... Uh, we can see that there becomes a way that it gets embedded into these platforms and infrastructure in ways that we don't often see. And so a classic example of this uh, that has been picked up by a lot of people, but uh, most recently Ruha Benjamin in her That's book, Race After Tech. Oh, well, oh, great. Yeah, Ruha so Benjamin Ruha was on the show a few months ago when her book came out. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so Race After Technology. That's, and that's she talks specifically, yeah, she talks specifically about uh, the bias that is embedded in some of those automatic uh, thinks in the airport that they were built and designed with a certain uh, complexion in mind. So if you have a darker skin tone, you can't necessarily get the water to turn on or get the soap to come out. And that's just one of those things if you're only testing with the people in the room and already there's an assumption about who's in the room and who actually is in the room, uh, you miss that you might not be making something that 
is accessible to everyone. And so those biases actually impact the way people experience the technology. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you um, mentioned her name because I, I was trying to think of Ruha's name and, I, and it, it just wasn't come, coming to me. It was a fascinating conversation as this has been. I can't believe how fast the time has gone, Moya. And, and I wish, uh, I, well, I, I hope that maybe we'll get a chance to talk again. But in the meantime, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you. The book, of course, is Massage Noir Transformed, Black Women's Digital Resistance, um, written by Moya Bailey from, uh, where was it? I, I had it right here on the other page, of course. Um, Northeastern, Northeastern University. Um, That's and, right. And um, I, I just, I want to say thank you, Moya, for spending this time with me. But can we let listeners know where they might find out more about you and your work? Do you have a website? Yes, I do. It's MoyaBailey.com, which is easy to remember. And you can also find me on Twitter at MoyaZB, Z is in zebra, B is in Bailey, uh, on Twitter. So uh, please stop by, and there's more book events to come. So I hope people will check it out and join me for one of them. And the book is um, coming out or is out already? It's out May 25th, tomorrow, Tuesday. So please, please pick it up. All right. Well, Moya, thanks again. It's uh, It's been a delight talking with you. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Once again, uh, from Northeastern University, that was uh, Moya Bailey, author of Misogynoir Transformed, Black Women's Digital Resistance. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <music> Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. That means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. 
You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we wrap up today's uh, edition of the Tom Sumner Program. There's one thing left to do, and that is uh, to acknowledge the fact that it was a year ago today that a Minneapolis police officer restrained George Floyd to death, and the whole country watched in horror. And uh, I, I really couldn't think of, I'm not the right person to comment on this, but I wanted to do something to acknowledge this uh, somber occasion. 
and this was the only thing I could think of that fits. It's a from a hard-to-find Motown Classics collection that I have, um, and I've played it from time to time when the, the situation warranted, but uh, this seems like the best way to sort of acknowledge this uh, somber anniversary. This, uh, this little medley of uh, thoughts and, and music from Tom Clay. What is segregation? I don't know what segregation is. Uh, what is bigotry? I don't know what bigotry is. What does, uh, hatred mean? I don't know what it is. Uh, what is, uh, prejudice? Um, I think it's when somebody's sick. this program to bring you a special bulletin. Dallas, Texas. The Flash, apparently official. President John F. Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. No one can be certain who next will suffer from some senseless act of bloodshed. Yorty has just sent me a message that we've been here too long already. So, uh, 
My thanks to all of you, and now it's on to Chicago, and let's win there. Senator Kennedy has been shot. Senator Kennedy has been shot. Is that possible? Oh, my God. Senator Kennedy has been shot. Rafer Johnson has a hold of a man who apparently has fired the shot. Get the gun. Get the gun. Get the gun. Stay away from the gun. His hand is frozen. Take a hold of his thumb and break it if you have to. Get his thumb. All right. That's it, Rafer. Get it. Get the gun, Raper. Hold him. Hold him. We don't want another Oswald. Like it or not, we live in times of danger and uncertainty. That is the way he lived. That is what he leaves us. My brother need not be idealized or enlarged in death beyond what he was in life. Be remembered simply as a good and decent man saw wrong and tried to right it, saw suffering and tried to heal it, saw war and tried to stop it. Those of us who loved him and who take him to his rest today pray that what he was to us, what he wished for others, will someday come to pass for all the world. As he said many times in many parts of this nation, those he touched and who sought to touch him. Some men see things as they are and say why. I dream things that never were and say why not. Segregation is. Uh, what is bigotry? I don't know what bigotry is. What does uh, hatred mean? I don't know what it is. Uh, what is uh, prejudice? Um, I think it's when somebody's sick. The Tom Summer. Program.com Well, wrapping up today's show on kind of a somber note, but I do want to say thanks to the very interesting people I got a chance to talk with today, including uh, Moya Bailey from Northeastern University talking about her book, Misogynoir Transformed, Black Women's Digital Resistance. And uh, in the hour before that, a uh, fascinating conversation with uh, former Bill Clinton speechwriter Jeff Schessel, who uh, had written a book um, called Mercury Rising, John Glenn, John Kennedy, and the New Battleground of the Cold War. And um, starting off this morning with uh, a former member of the Biden-Harris uh, Education Policy Committee in the run-up to the... Uh, election michelle miller adams talking about her book which uh 
is called um, The Path to Free College uh, in Pursuit of Access, Equity, and Prosperity. Anyway, fascinating uh, conversations all, and uh, tomorrow promises to be an interesting one as well. Of course, Wednesday, it's Armchair Politics. Bobby Clayton Walton will be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, for two hours of commentary and analysis about local, state, and national politics and current events. And uh, before that, in the uh, first hour, this is going to be kind of interesting, a couple candidates that were blocked from being part of the ballot for the August primary for Flint City Council are claiming foul. Um, and I have two different people that are going to join me by phone tomorrow. Uh, former City Councilman Wantwas Davis and uh, area musician, percussionist extraordinaire, uh, goes by the name of McConnell Roxy, but she is in fact Shannon Lacey, and she'll be joining me by phone. And they both have some beefs with um, how their petitions were handled or mishandled uh, by the Flint City Clerk's Office, and we'll find out what uh, exactly um, they have to say about it. So be sure and join me for tomorrow's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. There's my buddy Smokin' George Winters uh, from Davis and Ticklin' the Ivories, which always lets me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But very, very soon, we'll be uh, coming out of the bunker. We have planned uh, in July our first uh, face-to-face armchair politics. That's uh, July 7th. You might want to mark that down on the calendar. In the meantime... Uh, Have a great day, everybody, and uh, I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.